Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Patrick Finn of Patrick A. Finn. Patrick was born in England and raised in Ireland. He began working as a carpenter in England at the age of 18. Soon after, he achieved master craftsman status and became recognized for his integrity, attention to detail, devotion to old world craftsmanship, and his genuine personality. Since 1991, Patrick has grown from a few remodeling projects to an impressive list of hundreds of award-winning remodels and custom homes throughout Hyde Park, the North Shore, and the Northwest suburbs, primarily Arlington Heights and Barrington. Patrick's involvement with his clients and personal attention to each project assures that the quality craftsmanship he learned in England remains a hallmark of every home he works on. Now for my conversation with Patrick Finn. Hey, Patrick, good to see you. Good to see you. I'm excited for today and always kick these things off. Just give people some context. Who are you? What's the company and where are you guys located? So a company is called Patrick A. Finn Limited, located in Palatine, Illinois, which is about 35 miles north and west of the center of Chicago. Called the company after myself because I saw that I wanted to do high-end work and I want to be personally accountable for that. I didn't want to be ABC Construction hiding behind the name. I like it. Yeah. I'm going to away. <laughs> yeah. And what kinds of projects are you guys doing these days? So mid to high end renovations. I currently got a couple of additions going on. A lot of things start with like want to do a kitchen and open up the first floor plan. So and they kind of grow from there. Currently got a real cool, cool project working on. We basically it's a, started off with a Cape Cod home. We tore down the middle of it. It was originally built in the 1880s and had a couple of additions on it. So we severed three sections of the house that we kept and that we basically dug down a nine-foot basement and built a brand new house in between all of those additions and reconnected wow. all those existing spaces. So it was challenging, <laughs> but I like challenging projects. So it's, yeah. it's about six weeks. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, you'll have to send me some photos of that one. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's, it's, a, it's really a transformation. Amazing. Cool. Well, let's go back to the beginning. I guess what prompted you to start the company or maybe even just come, come to the States to begin with? So my grandfather, my mom's side, lived about a mile and a half, two miles from the Atlantic. And when I was like seven, eight, he took me down to the edge of the water, so the edge of the Atlantic. He said, Patrick, run your fingers in the water. So I ran him back and forth, as he said. And he said, Patrick, on the other side of the Atlantic is America. So after that, with his story, he worked in the docks of New York in their 20s for a couple of years, maybe four or five years. But he would tell fun stories. So. I came to believe that the streets of America were lined with paved with gold, you know, yet to find those streets. But from the age of seven or eight, everything I did was, I'm going to America. I'm going to live my life in America. 
no matter what I'm going to do, no matter how I'm going to get there, that's what I'm going to do. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. Yeah. So, so I guess when did you, when did you finally make it over? I immigrated for high school or secondary school, we call it there in Ireland, to England for two years. So I was 18 then, and I got here when I was 20 years old. Right on. Gotcha. And so, yeah, I guess I'm curious, like, what was your initial reaction, you know, from like seven or eight years old to 20, you'd been thinking about, I got to get there, got to get there. And then like, was it a disappointment? Was it everything you had hoped it would be? Or like, because I would imagine you had this idea in your head about what it would be like. <laughs> when I went to England, I had, I had zero experience in construction. Never, I'm a carpenter by trade, never done any carpentry work. In fact, never even picked up a hammer to drive a single nail in Ireland. So when I got to England, I started working with my uncles. They did attic, what, loft conversions, what they call them. So it was like adding a fourth floor to the three-story three homes in inner London. So I worked with them for about six or eight months. No, no, about four or five months. They were, I was working like a slave, working 12 hours a day, six days a week, making minimal money. So I, I picked up the newspaper one evening. It's called Evening Standard London. And on the back of it was a bunch of classifieds. You just drop in. 10 pence at the time and just started dialing all the way down the list. So I found the job, showed up the job Monday morning, never told my uncle I'd quit yet because I wasn't sure if I was going to actually get the job or not. I was one of six carpenters that was hired that day, but I had only four, four months of experience, four or five months of experience. So foreman on, on that day spread everybody out. And I was the last person to get placed at work. And I told him, I said, Colin, I just want you to know, even though I played for the carpenter ad, I said, I've only been in construction six months and I have very, very little carpentry experience. So he said to me, well, it's a good thing you let me know now because I would have found that out in a couple of hours. And he said, and I would have fired you. So I said, okay, well, if you want to fire me now, I have a job to go back to. So it wouldn't be that big a deal to do it now. He said, no, no, I have a perfect job for you. So he takes me outside. This is like a building the size of a football field, three-story office building being built. And there was two Sikh Indians working on the third floor scaffolding, putting some um, roofing pieces together. One was a real skinny guy and one was an over, overweight guy. He said, Patrick, that fatter guy is doing all work up there. So I'm going to pull away the skinny guy because he's doing all the work. And you're going to make that other guy work. I want him sweating. I'm going to come by three, three times a day. If he's sweating, you keep your job. If he's not, you're fired. I said, okay. So I climbed up the ladder, sent the, other, sent the one guy away that he wanted down. I uh, told the other guy my predicament that I, that him and I needed to work together. So he says, not my problem. I said, well, it kind of is our problem now. So we got to work together here. So he said, well, you know, I, I need to work. It was my already hiring situation. So he really didn't need to work. So I said, well, how about this? How about you train me in, in what, train me what you know in carpentry and I'll do all the work for tools. And all you got to do is look out because one side of the building was 300 feet long and the other was 100. I said, you just look out for the foreman coming three times a day. When you see him coming, start working. I said, and just pretend like you're working hard. Other than that, you know, the rest of the seven and a half hours a day, I'll do all the work. You just teach me and I'll do it. So he said, okay. So yeah, that's how I started. <laughs> started as a carpenter, basically. That's um, awesome. And I took off a month from that after I got a raise and just continued working on that company for a while. So it was gotcha. good. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> that's funny. So how did you get from, from there, you know, to where you are now, you know, with starting the company? So when I immigrated, I was doing high-end finish work for the previous six months before I got to the U.S. So when I came over here, went to an Irish bar, talked to the bartender, said, I'm looking for a job. He said, okay, let me call somebody. 
called somebody, woke him up. The guy said, be at this intersection at 445 tomorrow morning. And it was August, this was August 5th of 1987. So I show up. Uh, once we, we drive one of what was going to be my future empl- fellow employees to where the guy was at, hopped in the back of a van, smell of diesel and everything else. And we drove for an hour to a job site, got there at 6 a.m. And like there was six or seven other guys framing homes. And I started out as a laborer here. So my initial take was like, I was working twice as hard. I'd never experienced heat and humidity like I did here in Chicago. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, what did I So, but I made a commitment to myself that I would stay here for Christmas. So I asked for four months and uh, see what happens by the end of that. So I was committed. Gotcha. So, yeah. So did, so you made it till Christmas, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I went back to Ireland. I had a return ticket to Ireland. So I went back to Ireland for four weeks. I was there two weeks. I was absolutely losing my mind. So I said for the next two weeks, I, I just hung out there as best I could. I was working with my father and whatnot. But I made a commitment two weeks into that holiday back in Ireland that I was going to live in America for the rest of my life. And I'm never going to live in Ireland again. Visit for vacation, visit to see my family, but never living in Ireland. Again. Wow. Yeah. Was it shortly after that you came back to the States and never looked back? Or how, yeah. how long was it before you made that leap? So I came back in January of 2019, and started working, which I'd never experienced cold so bad as what I was in <laughs> Yeah, you, uh, you picked months. an interesting spot. You get the humid heat and then the freezing yeah. cold. <laughs> yeah, the extremes are awful. But anyway, pushed through that. Started out as a laborer making $7 an hour. I was highly motivated to get to get on with things because I didn't like la- didn't like laboring with pieces of wood touching the ground on both sides with me in the middle of it. So I had to get I had to move on from that as fast as I could. So within 12 months, I was a foreman for him. I two and a half times my age. Uh, about a year and a half later, I was a superintendent for him because he was a framing contract. He also built new homes as well. So I, I advanced pretty quickly, but I was highly motivated. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And so how long did you you stay with that guy working working there? So I stayed with him until October of 91, so about four years. Unfortunately, he committed suicide, which is awful. I was the last person to see him alive. So I helped his wife and his office manager finish all the projects we had under construction at the time. I asked her, did she want to keep the business going? I told her I'd stick around. She said, no, she wanted to wind it all up. So I stuck around about four or five, six months to help her wind it all up, finish everything. She shut it down and I started my own construction company. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was like 92 or so? or October 91. 91. Okay, gotcha. I feel like that's an interesting transition to kind of like wind down there and then just go, all right, I'm going out on my own. What was the first first year like? So we were doing custom homes along with framing with that previous guy. And a customer came in wanting a, pre, a home built, custom home built. So the office manager let the, the owner's wife know and she wasn't interested. She asked if she could pass it on to me. So she did. So that was my first project. It was a custom home, 3,600 square foot custom home. After that, I started doing work in the inner city of Chicago. We remodeled as a subcontractor, 112 apartments in like 15 months. Then I got in connected with another contractor who wanted to hire me as a sub to sub the whole project. And I just, he'd just make, he'd be the general contractor. I was subcontracting not 100% of the project. When I was working under his, his umbrella, he introduced me to a high-end architect. We did a very large house, actually the biggest house in the Hyde Park area, which is within the campus of the University of Chicago. And then it kind of got me into working for myself. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you probably built some of those. You had a couple of those relationships that 
you know, from the four years with the the one guy and then just got you lifted off the ground and off and running. So yeah, I guess, you know, from there, it sounds like you you had the custom home, but then you're also like subbing out and doing all these apartments. Like when did you shift to, you know, just interior remodeling and kind of, you know, what you're doing or was it like kind of a hodgepodge for a while? No, no. So probably in the third year, I got introduced, this other guy introduced me to this hiring architect. And he took a liking to me, kind of the architect kind of took me under his umbrella and we worked together for four or five years and he introduced me. We did a lot of high-end projects for him. He emulated Frank Lloyd Wright, his dress, his style of architecture, everything, almost like a protege, but he wasn't. So a lot of what we did was very similar to Frank Lloyd Wright, which I really admire and like his style of architecture. Gotcha. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) What do you think was most challenging in the first three or four years of business? So the first three years in business, I lost money every year. Thank God my wife was working. <laughs> that, that, supported our, that supported us at the time. So on the, at the end of the third year, I went to my account to do my taxes. You know, and he said, Patrick, you got to make a decision. You're going to figure out how to make money or you're going to quit, close this thing down and go work for somebody else. And I said, well, how do I do that? Because I never knew this thing called overhead existed. I never knew <laughs> so he said, raise your price at least 50 to 20% and see what happens. So I did, and come the fourth year, I made money, and I made money every, every year since then. Good, good. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Sometimes it's just the basics, right? You know, <laughs> then you're off and running. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, we've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. In reflecting back about like starting your own company and like getting to where you are today. What do you think has been the most rewarding part of that journey? So I'm a people pleaser. So I started to hire employees as things got better. I made a commitment to myself that I would treat my employees like family. Although I had a consultant in probably about 10 years ago and he said, Patrick, you got to start running your, stop running your business with your heart, start running with your head. I said, I disagree. I'll start running it more with my head, but a 50-50 is going to be with my heart. My employees are like my family. I spend more time with them than I do my family, except for my wife and my children, of course. Doing high-end work, helping our prospects see the vision of what is possible with their projects, their spaces, their homes, and seeing the delight in their faces and in their eyes and how how happy they are with the final result. Because it's pretty darn scary for people to enter into a big project. Their whole house is torn apart for several months, not knowing, you know, while we have a very good reputation, but still, it's still a lot of unknowns to them and, you know, a lot of nightmare stories. 
out there about contractors disappearing in the middle of projects and running off with the money and everything. So we worked very hard from the very beginning to be different, but not be like those kind of contractors. Yeah, so yeah. It, oh, so that's it was a very good reputation, which is great. You know, we worked very hard to restart that. Yeah, well, and that I mean that leads to to all the word of mouth and and referral, and so yeah, once you kind of start to break that, then that all starts to fall apart. So, well, Patrick, there's always kind of like a a wacky client story or weird project or crazy project or something like that on these journeys. Anything coming to mind that you can share? Yeah, so when we were second year in business, when we were working in the inner city of Chicago, we were doing back porches along with all the interior work. So I had a sign up there, you know. And about 10.30 one night, I get a call from the Chicago Police Department because the general contractor had no signage on the building. So nobody knew who that person was. So police call, Chicago police called my phone number at 10.30 at night, woke me up, said, I just want you to know, we think somebody stole a bathtub out of your building and they're pushing it down Michigan Avenue on the shopping cart. <laughs> so, so I started laughing and I said, oh, I said, so they said to me, what do you want to do about this guy? I said, honestly, just keep, I said, if he stole the bathtub and he's that badly, he's pushing down the street in the, car, in, the, in the shopping cart, just let him go. He needs that far more than I need, than I want to get him in trouble. Just keep, let him go. Pretend like you never saw it. So they said, are you sure? And I said, absolutely. So they let him go. And that was one of the weirdest things. Um, oh man. So, so you just bought a new tub and called it good. And <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't even my responsibility. It was the general contractor. I just told the general contractor, hey, you need another $99 tub because they were pretty cheap. You gotcha. need another $99 tub for this job. <laughs> Somebody walked down the street last night with it on, on the shopping cart. Oh man, that's that's pretty good. I haven't heard that one before. So <laughs> it was unusual. Yeah. I wonder if he ever got it hooked up and was able to use it. <laughs> I think he stole it for scrap money. Probably. That's a good one. Well, in thinking about business ownership, entrepreneurship, what do you think surprised you the most about getting into business for yourself? Just all the hats I had to wear. And as the company grows, how it becomes more and more complex. Like I say, I did hire a consultant probably about 12, 14 years ago. And he said, okay, this is going to take six weeks to figure out, help you get to a better place. I want you to write down every single thing you do, all the various job descriptions, all the different processes, you know, all the hats you're wearing. And then there was like six or so. He said, all right, we're going to take one a week and delegate that process out. I was like, he said, at the end of the, at the end of the six-week engagement, you'll have two things to, to do. He said, you're going to be managing your managers and managing money. And I said to him, you're full of crap. I don't think that's, going to, that's possible. He said, no, no, just trust the process. So week by week, big week, I let, uh, give up one hat at a time. Sure enough, at the end of the six weeks, well, I, I had nothing to do. And like I said, what am I supposed to do now? He said, just keep an eye on your managers and manage your money. I said, but this is new to me. He said, all right, get used to it. <laughs> so <laughs> so I did that for a while. Then that was like 2007. Then 2008 hit with the crash with Lehman Brothers and crash in the housing market. So that changed everything. Our business was off 66% from where it was supposed to be in 2008. And then we kind of, it took about eight, nine years to crawl back out of that hole before we were back up to the revenue that we did prior to 2008. Those are tough years. Yeah, very, very, very tough years. Yeah, and then eventually you've you've got your daughter that came into the business and getting involved. When was that, and what's that been like? So she's in the business six years now, two or three years into it. We had a conversation. She decided to take wanting to take it over. So we have an eight year succession plan we're starting on. So 
my sole focus as of two years ago when she decided she'd like to take it over has been training and mentoring her for success. She wants to take it to a larger company than I, than I have today. So we made a deal that she would stay in school until she got her degree. She didn't like school, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and, if, and if she stayed in school, get her degree, then she could continue working in the company. I said, but however, if you drop out of school, for whatever reason, that's the day I'm fired. Don't even bother coming in, you're fired. So it's <laughs> like, but I don't want to do that. I said, yes, but you're going to do it. I don't care if it's one class of semester, you're going to do it. It takes you four years to do a two-year degree, whatever it is. You're not finished. You have to finish that. The great thing about that is what she was learning. And she went. She was doing a business entrepreneurship class. And what she was learning in these classes, we have immediately applied to the to the business. Mm-hmm. So while I, 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 I don't have a degree in business management or accounting or anything else. My background is as a carpenter. So for her to have that education along with what I know, it's like it's a good synergy. She's learning a lot from her. She's learning a lot from me. So it's really great. It's really great. That's cool. There is some challenges. We do have some challenging days, days, though, because we're very, very similar and stubborn. So there are some heated discussions, but we've decided not to have that in the office anymore. So you take that outside. And, but we're getting better over the last two or three years. That's getting better. Still yeah. tense sometimes. But it's not, not coming from a bad place. She's very passionate about what she does. I'm very passionate about what I do. And she yeah. wants her voice, and I make sure to hear it. So That's good. Yeah. It's, it's good, though. She's yeah, and it's good to, good to have, you know, some back and forth and sometimes you, you get deeper to the root of the issue or, you know, whatever it is. So if everyone's always in agreement, sometimes you miss some things. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. so our goal, our goal is to have it ready for her to take over in five years. So I connect more as like a mentor and a teacher to her and the rest of our employees for the last tree so that she's 100% confident ready in eight years. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and I, I love the the timeline too. I did a, a series, a family business podcast series with my dad and my uncle a couple of years ago. And they they talked about kind of having a, a longer plan, you know, one that you can really make sure that transition goes well. And yeah, having that resource for for her and you will be really, really powerful. I guess, Patrick, a couple of questions to wrap up, you know, and thinking about the next one to three years of our industry, not necessarily just your company. It sounds like you guys are on this five-year path to transition, but what do you think are one or two of the big challenges that we really need to be working to solve right now as an industry? So I think, you know, right now, sky high inflation is a problem. You know, all the logistics, the supply chain issues that happened during COVID still haven't worked their way out 100%. Skilled labor is extremely tight. One of the things I want to do when I exit out of the business is going to the inner city and start training young people, boys and girls that don't have much of a future in there, can't see their way forward, and start doing like a, an apprenticeship program where we'd build like two flats and they'd help build one, you know, let's, let's just say there's 20 individuals. I'd lead and guide them and direct them, we build one, two flat, they move in, then they, they build the next two flat, and like by two, two, three, four years, we'd have 22 flats and they know how to do various trades. I was gonna train one or two to be a carpenter, one or two to be electrician, heating guy, all that, you know. So that's my, that's a lifelong dream for me to do that. I've had many people help me up along the way as I've been growing and learning. So I really want to get back. Yeah. Yeah. I love that a lot. And yeah, I mean, that that's like, I think that is a perfect example of one of those scenarios where you're literally solving two problems and it becomes a very much a win-win solution, you know, providing the opportunity, you know, to the people that need it 
and then also solving a supply of labor issue, you know, on the on the other side. So yeah, whenever people say there's no opportunity, there's no, you know, I always look at an example like that where you can go, hey, you can literally start working on two two problems with one one program like that. So that's cool. You'll have to keep us posted when the time comes. We're really looking forward to getting that going. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Planning it, planning it, these as we go on. Yeah, very cool. Well, hey, Patrick, if if we're going to wrap up here, one piece of advice or final words of wisdom to other remodelers like yourself that are out there listening? So remodeling is a tough business. And you have to have to be very passionate and dedicated to it. It has a lot of highs, highs and lows. I call them the mountains and the valleys. You just got to ride the wave. You know, tomorrow will always be better today. And just believe in yourself, believe in your team. Always do the right thing by people. I have a strong faith, but even if for people that don't like karma, you know, you do good by one person, good will be done back to you. So I just think just being sensible about things, not try to grow too fast, too soon. A lot of people have very, very aggressive growth patterns and they tend to run out of money when, when people try to accelerate their growth. I think just steady, you know, 12 to 15% growth should be the target. But I think even on the down days, just remember there are better days ahead and just keep plugging away at it, believe in yourself and, you know, keep, and also continuous education, reading, listening to audio books, uh, attending seminars or trade shows, just keeping up to date with all the new things out there. I think that would be huge too. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. And yeah, Patrick, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Spencer, for the opportunity. This, this was fun. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.